This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen, and today we're talking about the war in Afghanistan and how to end it. Monday, October 7th, marks 18 years since the start of Operation Enduring Freedom, America's response to the attacks on 9-11. Since 2001, more than 2,400 U.S. military personnel have died in Afghanistan, and we have spent over $800 billion on the conflict. And yet the Taliban and other insurgents continue to launch deadly attacks and continue to hold large parts of the country. In fact, America's longest war has earned the epithet of being America's forever war. And despite the recent failed attempt to bring the Taliban and Afghan government to Camp David to seal a new peace deal, the war drags on. But my guest today has a bold and even controversial idea about how to end the so-called forever war. Here with me today is Robert Pape, professor of political science and director of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats at the University of Chicago. Welcome back to Deep Dish, Bob. Thanks for having me, Brian. So I want to start out by laying the groundwork before we get to your proposal. First, describe to us what is the state of play on the ground? The state of play is we're in a losing game. Uh, For years, we've been trying to build a democracy. We know that's failed, but we're now in a much worse situation. The strategic trends are running dramatically against us, and we're moving into a very dangerous phase of Afghanistan. We're not just simply failing to build a democracy now. We are galvanizing large portions of the country against us. This is an extremely dangerous phase because this shows no signs of stopping. This has been going on now for years. Um, Today, as I speak, uh, the estimates are that either half or two-thirds of the country are controlled by the Afghan Taliban. And that includes the U.S. The U.S. estimate is the the half. (laughs) The independent estimates are the two-thirds. This is something that uh, the the, uh, Afghan Taliban is not just – galvanizing the Pashtun areas. The Taliban has long been a Pashtun group. It is now getting cooperative support from Uzbeks and Tajiks. This is an extremely new phenomenon in the last three to four years. It's something that is that's very dangerous and shows no signs of stopping. Now, why is that happening? Why are we in such a losing position? As you just said, we um, have thrown nearly a trillion dollars at this problem over the last 18 years. Um, we've had as many as 100,000 ground troops in the, in the country. Um, it's happening because fundamentally the population of Afghanistan believes the government that we installed is illegitimate. It's not viewed as a legitimate democracy, a legitimate government, by over 77 percent of the population, and that's by the U.S. government surveys. Um, Give you a sense of just how illegitimate the government is perceived by the Afghan people. We just had an election just recently, um, as as I think a lot of your listeners are in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. they're going to know. And uh, there are 37 million people in Afghanistan. Do you know how many people actually voted? No. Two million. Two million people voted. That's 5% of the population. And that's countrywide. Now, yes, it's true that uh, the Afghan Taliban did some attacks in a few districts here or there. But the fact of the matter is this is a blanket rejection 
of the entire process that we have installed. Um, if you look at the, uh, the number of people that are registered as voters, it's around 9 million, 25 percent. This is not a working democracy the way we understand a democracy. This is not getting better. All of these trends have gotten dramatically worse in the last 15 years. Uh, the longer we've um, had a strategy of perpetual ground forces, the worse and worse and worse the position is for the government that we've installed in Afghanistan, uh, for the population of Afghanistan. And what is the population of Afghanistan seeing right now on front of their eyes? Victory by the Afghan Taliban. And so a principle is kicking in, bandwagon with the victor. So we have no strategy for victory. We have no strategy to reverse this. Uh, the current strategy, the best, is let's just keep holding on by our fingernails just a little bit yeah. more. And we've heard that here on on in, on Deep Dish. Um, you know, Ambassador Ryan Cracker was on and he said, you know, we just need to maintain the number of troops we have. And as a matter of fact, we have a moral obligation to um, this country that we invaded. Uh, they cite uh, the status of women um, in the country that has been dramatically uh, improved. Um, and you argue, one of the things that really strikes me about your argument is this isn't just to hold on and maintain the status quo. And you've been hinting at it a little bit in your comments already. But you see this as actively a, that it's not treading water. Continuing to pursue this strategy will make things dramatically worse. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we are not in a uh, stalemate. This is not a grill worth stalemate that's just going to go on for 10 years. Um, a good context here for your, uh, for your listeners is to Google uh, Mao's three-stage strategy of revolutionary war. Um, strategy uh, number one is you start in a little um, uh, base. Strategy two is guerrilla war to tip the balance of the population dramatically against the illegitimate government. And then strategy um, three is to finish it off, the coup de grace. Um, and that's uh, what, how Mao won. Uh, uh, that is what we saw in Vietnam. And uh, we can't say for sure when that we're, this isn't like a, a point prediction that one can look at this and say, yes, tomorrow we're about to fall off a cliff. That's not how the, but this is a structural problem. Another way to put it is if you're a business and you're going bankrupt, you don't know that you can't hold on for another month, but you know holding on for two more years as your investors flock away and flock to other competitors, this is an extreme – this is the world of Afghanistan. And it is um, an extremely dangerous world even for our forces. So we now have 14,000 uh, ground troops uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, that is to hold a population of 37 million put this in context, uh, the city of Chicago has a little over 12,000 police for the city of 3 million. So just try to put it in context of what we're asking of our 14,000 uh, soldiers to do here. Um, and it's not because they're, they don't – they understand the moral obligation. They understand this. But we're asking them to do something that is just simply beyond belief that is going – and the Afghan Taliban, they have 77,000. 
And it's growing, and the numbers are growing, and this is growing day by day by day. And so, uh, fundamentally, if you have an illegitimate government that seventy-seven plus percent—I mean, it may be ninety-five percent of the population believes is thoroughly um, illegitimate—you just can't hold on for very long. And the moral obligation—I'm not saying we just simply walk away and we abandon everything. So let me let me just be very clear. Um, I believe there is real problems with the idea of we just all pick up and go home tomorrow. So let's talk about that because that's the other big uh, proposal on the table. One is to kind of stay, maintain, keep things going. The other is, you know, responding to just that set of facts that you've shared with us and say, my God, there's no future here. Um, What we should do is, you know, longest America's longest war. We haven't sorted this out. Let's just pack up and go home. We got in there to displace terrorists. And that mission is long ago accomplished. And let's just go home. What's wrong with that approach? Uh, What's wrong with that is, um, first of all, there are risks that I would say are in the acceptable category, although they're pretty serious. Um, So if we just pick up and and go home immediately, say by uh, Christmas, uh, the end of the year, um, there's a very good chance that what's left of the Afghan government, as it is now shriveling, um, might collapse just uh, just immediately. And so a lot of things that um, Ambassador Crocker, and he's not alone, um, that that many others are pointing out um, of the of the risks here um, uh, could happen, and they could happen just in a, in a in a few months. The problem with those sets of risks uh, is not that they're not real; it's that they're going to happen anyway. They're going to happen, if not necessarily in two months, possibly in two years, possibly in three years. We don't know exactly when. Again, this is like bankruptcy. Um, it's not exactly sure that you can put a date on when you. F- fully run out of cash, um, but you know that this is going to happen, and that's the problem with those types of risks. We already are facing those risks, and simply staying is not making that any better. Um, the truly unacceptable risk, Brian, um, that uh, would would happen is it's not true that the international terrorist threat is gone from Afghanistan. Um, the international terrorist threat is not the Afghan Taliban. There is a, another group. Um, it is ISIS. ISIS has essentially parachuted in and one of its satellites is called ISIS Khorasan, uh, which refers to ISIS in Afghanistan. Uh, this is a, um, a, a group that is separate from the Afghan Taliban. It is a group that is dedicated to the mission of attacking America. Uh, it is uh, dedicated to the mission of attacking America's allies. It is also dedicated to getting a sanctuary and a set of bases in order to plan that. Now, where have we heard that before? <laughs> that, we have just gone, we, well, that is how we had 9-11. And that's how that was. Now, this is a, it's not Al Qaeda, so it's a different name. Your your uh, some of your listeners may and it may and it has a name called ISIS, but it's not ISIS in Iraq and Syria. This is ISIS in Afghanistan. Now, this is um, the really unacceptable risk if we just simply abandon, pull up, um, and pull everybody out immediately, and then literally walk away. What we're doing is we're ignoring an all-too-real threat of the recreation of a base for an international terrorist group uh, inside of Afghanistan, and that's something that really is an unacceptable risk. So, so we have uh, to, to think very clearly about what are the goals that the United States should have that um, are, number one, the goals we're willing to fight and die for 
fight and die for because that's what we're doing in Afghanistan. And uh, I have, say in the piece, and I believe that our, that goal is counterterrorism, defending the United States from an attack from an international terrorist group in Afghanistan. That doesn't mean we don't have other goals that we'd also like to achieve, uh, such as uh, women's rights, uh, such as building a better life in Afghanistan, improving the economy. Those, two are all valuable goals. But I don't believe those are the goals that we should be fighting and dying for. So that's a perfect transition. Um, you've laid out two pretty bleak alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do we kind of thread the needle and focusing on the te- on the threat of reestablishment of terrorists who could strike the United States, what do we do in order to avoid that? Uh, we should adopt a strategy that's called an over-the-horizon approach to counterterrorism. By over-the-horizon, we still stay focused on Afghanistan, but we don't use ground forces inside the country. We use air power. We use intelligence. We use some special special forces, tiny numbers of special forces, as we might need them to go in and out. Um, and we uh, do rely on economic and political tools, essentially from bases outside of Afghanistan. Uh, we have right now logistic bases that we um, uh, use in uh, parts of uh, in countries just on the border of Afghanistan. Uh, these would be a perfect set of platforms to start the over-the-horizon uh, policy. We have already uh, bases in Qatar. Uh, IUD Air Base, which I've been to several times, uh, which is uh, essentially uh, where we do a lot of our long-range uh, bombing from anyway. Uh, we have other bases in the Indian Ocean. So we have the basing structure um, to be able to pull back, if you would, from the uh, from uh, the military presence inside of Afghanistan. And we need to start to develop our strategy around that structure. The over-the-horizon approach um, is a strategy that we've actually seen um, quite success, uh, success, including in Afghanistan itself. So in um, fall 2001, after 9-11, we wanted to topple the Taliban. We wanted to get bin Laden. Uh, we didn't send an army. We sent no army. We sent a grand total of 50 special forces with our air power, And we worked with local groups, uh, that time it was the Northern Alliance, but local groups inside of Afghanistan to tilt the balance. Uh, That was extremely successful. So in this strategy, obviously, you know, we talked about, you talked about earlier, um, when it's the Afghan central government versus the Taliban, that's not going well. Right. So it sounds to me with a strategy like that, um, implicit in this is – that this is not an effort against the Taliban. Um, as a matter of fact, we may need to, even need to cooperate with the Taliban in order to make this work. This is really against um, the um, Islamic State uh, Khorasan uh, folks, and that's the target of our military force. Have I got that right? You've got it exactly right, Brian. We've got to get the goal right. The goal is stopping an international terrorist group, whatever they call themselves, from using Afghanistan as a base to strike America. And we have such a group there right now. They went in starting in 2015. Uh, They have controlled territory. um, And um, the fact is this group is a group that's not only anti the United States, it is anti-Taliban. 
So this is a little different than I think a lot of listeners might be used to. So we're used to thinking, oh, yeah, all those terrorists, all they want to do is gang up together and kind of work against us and all come at us at the same time. No, that's And the just- 9-11 experience of, well, Taliban was ruling – Al-Qaeda come up, came up and That's right. delivered attack against the That's US. right. In the 9-11 experience, bin Laden was supporting the goals of the Afghan Taliban in Afghanistan, essentially helping them collect money from some of their drug operations and helping them stay in power. That's not what's happening with ISIS in Afghanistan. ISIS is threatening the number one goal of the Afghan Taliban, which is power. The Afghan Taliban, they're not trying to kill us. They've never launched an operation against us in all these years. Think about that. 18 years. There's not a single effort by the Afghan Taliban to strike outside of Afghanistan. They've focused on one goal, which is getting power inside of Afghanistan. Uh, They also want us out of Afghanistan, but that's to get power in Afghanistan. Um, And so what they don't just want. Um, to avoid America in Afghanistan, they want to avoid any group that's threatening their power. Well, when ISIS came in, right away they started to establish a sanctuary and started to tax the population. Money not going now to the Afghan Taliban. They started to pull fighters away from the Afghan Taliban, suddenly eroding the uh, the support of the Afghan Taliban. And no surprise, within just a few months, they became bitter enemies. They've been fighting each other tooth and nail. They try to kill each other at every possible instance. So this is not, these are, these are not kind of bedfellows that are kind of, you know, birds of a feather flocking together. This is the opposite. So let me push that. on this a little bit. Uh, one could argue, those folks who want to pick up and go home could argue, Bob, you've convinced me. Taliban, they are going to gain control. Yes. And they are mortal enemies of uh, ISIS-K and other terrorist groups in the area. Therefore, let's just get out of there and let those folks take care of this problem. Why isn't that a good response? Uh, Because um, Afghanistan is a messy enough situation, an unstable enough situation, that that effectively means we hand over America's security to the Afghan Taliban. And we just can't do that with our security uh, interests. So it's, um, uh, it's not that we shouldn't want to work with the Taliban. I'm actually suggesting some, some not just in principle but some detailed ways we could start to move in that direction. Um, but I don't want to go so far and I don't think it's in America's interest to go so far is to hand our security over to anybody. Not, that's not just so. I wouldn't hand our security over to Germany. I wouldn't hand our security over to Britain. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't hand our security over to the Afghan Taliban. Uh, that doesn't mean I wouldn't work with them. But at the same time, so, so the problem with uh, today is that we actually have ISIS in Afghanistan today. Now, five years from now? maybe seven, eight years from now, uh, maybe that will just simply go away, in which case then that more passive strategy, which I call uh, offshore balancing, which I'm also in favor of in many instances. So, so I am a, a – but the, uh, the over-the-horizon uh, strategy is the more active phase when you actually face um, an existing threat. It's, it's not a hypothetical threat. It's not a possible threat down the line. We have an existing problem with ISIS-K in Afghanistan. And that, and that may not be permanent. It may, it may be the case that we can uh, work this uh, down to virtually nothing um, in the coming years. But that's not true right this yeah. second. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about how we would use U.S. forces. You talk about the over the horizon, the yeah. places where we could base military support uh, or military forces that could do things like airstrikes and cooperation, probably intelligence cooperation, coordination with the Taliban against exactly. the threat. So what – 
and and you've laid out very clearly what we what we want to avoid is a group establishing itself that could pose a threat to the United States, not just any terrorist group, but that's it. What are the parameters on that? We saw the war on terror, which it, that just stretched a, you yep. know, a, a huge mission. So help us understand kind of what it is we're trying to control on the ground. Yeah. So, so the thing we're not trying to control is one terrorist somewhere in Afghanistan sending an email or, or, or getting on a, a telegram uh, and uh, communicating. That's not possible. So, so we're not trying to literally uh, go through 37 million people uh, and identify. We, we live in, three, in a country in the United States of 330 million people. We can't do that here. So, so this is not the, the objective. The objective is um, to prevent um, an international terrorist group from getting a meaningful sanctuary like controlling one of the 400 districts in Afghanistan. Or think about this as a, a sanctuary where they have a protection to be able – without threat of being harmed, plan, train, organize, and think through strategies to hurt us. That's essentially what happened with Tarnak Farms and, and, and Al-Qaeda, bin Laden's Al-Qaeda in the 90s. Um, and um, it's, it's not that that eliminates all possible threat, but to uh, that, that sort of factory scale threat. So what I'm uh, what I'm proposing is that we understand that what we want to target here with our stra- military strategy is preventing is preventing factory scale terrorism against us, and that would come with a sanctuary. So that's why it's very important to get rid of the sanctuary for for a terrorist. Uh, it doesn't eliminate all terrorism, but it does make a substantial difference in the threat that we face. And in the case of Afghanistan, um, we know in Nangarhar province, we. we we know the details of where ISIS-K is. It's, it's sort of a little bit like an ink spot. It's trying to grow from and spread from certain areas. And they're already fighting um, at times with the Afghan Taliban. So what that means is that we are um, – in a position where we can uh, test the waters of, of actual concrete cooperation. So um, that would mean low-level intelligence sharing here, uh, probably through uh, our CIA and operatives through our CIA. Um, so it wouldn't have to be public. We could we could just you know keep a lid on this. We don't have to go public on this, uh, uh, which is also very helpful because the Afghan Taliban is a very illiberal group. We don't like that. But nonetheless, um, we could... Um, um, start to share intelligence here that would be helpful in terms of uh, tacit coordination of, say, uh, ground attacks by the Afghan Taliban with airstrikes. Um, and if that U.S. airstrikes air and support, U.S. Yeah. airstrikes yeah. and support, and if it um, uh, and if that starts in a small way and it starts to expand, then we can start to withdraw our ground forces. So what I what I would do is I wouldn't uh, just immediately pick up and go home and hope. We get cooperation from the Taliban. That's not the over-the-horizon strategy. The way to implement this strategy, the Afghan Taliban, they say they want us out. Okay, let's actually work together on our common threat and demonstrate to us that we can cooperate against ISIS-K over the next 12 months and then we'll start to leave. So this means that we have a clear demonstrated success of cooperation, not 
hoping to win. You know, I, I'm very much in favor of – I have a book called uh, Bombing, Bombing to Win. win yeah, yes. So I'm very yeah. much in favor of actually winning, right? Um, and, and this creates conditions on the ground that we can observe. Um, and it may be because the, inform, the information sharing is going to be secret or classified. It may be a little more difficult for the public um, uh, to get this. But it wouldn't be for the CIA to monitor this for sure in, in the Defense Department. Um, and so we'd be in a position – where it's no longer just a, it's no longer this this kind of funny numbers game. Well, should we, you know, go from fourteen thousand to eight thousand six hundred? And everybody's looking at it going, well, what's the difference? The fourteen thousand aren't stopping the loss anyway, and nobody's got a plan for victory. No, no, no. This this is just sort of a, a kind of a the idea of of sort of bargaining and kind of winning some bargaining, like in some bizarre. That that's not America. That's not going to serve America's interest. What would serve America's interest is building a working relationship with a group inside of Afghanistan that also hates ISIS-K, and that's the Taliban. And we've already done a bit of this already, so so your your listeners may not know, but in uh, June 2018, uh, we um, did a ceasefire with the Afghan Taliban. It was kind of radical. Um, and if I might say so, uh, I did a, a, a published paper in the American Political Science Review in the summer of 2017 um, suggesting that if you wanted to get a deal, a ceasefire with the Afghan Taliban, you you should pick uh, the Eid's holidays in order to do it. Uh, and that was in summer of 2017, American Political Science Review. Um, well, that's what happened in June. We picked the three-day the three holiday. So it wasn't a long ceasefire, but the Afghan Taliban stuck to it. And that was something that allowed us freed up a bit of our assets to go hit. ISIS-K a bit. So, so that was uh, the very, very first instance of actual tacit cooperation against ISIS-K. Uh, now, that's a small instance. I don't want to overread that. But that was something we can observe. That's a fact. That's not a promise. And it's something that we can build on. And that's what I'm suggesting we do to implement the over-the-horizon. So I believe the over-the-horizon strategy to prevent an international terrorist group from having the wherewithal to attack us here at home should be the goal for the strategy for Afghanistan. And what we should do to implement it is we should use this uh, uh, actual observable cooperation with the Afghan Taliban over a period of, of, of months and years so that the more cooperation, the more we are pulling our forces out. Um, and it just may be the case that we can work with the Afghan Taliban fine. It may not be, but this will, we will find out. Well, Bob, you talked about your role as someone independent, um, being able to put new ideas on the policy table. One of our roles in Deep Dish is to provide listeners with an opportunity to, as we say, go beyond the headlines, but really understand policy debates and alternative positions. And I really thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts and proposals for a now, for this seemingly endless war that all of us would like to find a way forward on. So thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real privilege to be here with you. And thank you for tuning into this episode of Deep Dish. If you like the show, do me a favor and tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you can get each and every new episode as it's released. You can find our show under Deep Dish on Global Affairs wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think you know someone who would like today's episode, please take a moment to tap the share button and send it to them as well. As a reminder, the opinions you heard belong to the people who expressed them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Our audio engineer for this episode is Andy Zarnecki. I'm Brian Hansen, and we'll be back soon with another slice of Deep Dish. <laughs>